And listen, I'm excited because tonight we've got something special for you. We've done four weeks of a masterclass on prayer, looking at some of the great prayers of the Bible, the great men and women of the Bible who have taught us how to pray. And uh, you are here, whether you know it or not, for the after school special. You came for some extra credit tonight. Tonight we have uh, the four folks who taught us over the last month coming to answer questions that we've gathered from many of you, questions that have come up often whenever we talk about prayer. So we are gonna do a Q&A panel tonight and I am so honored and happy to have with me tonight my three very good friends, Pastor Sean Clemens, Pastor Stephen Law, and Pastor Miata Jones. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. Hey, thanks for being here, guys. It's awesome to be here. I'm excited yeah. for you. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Definitely excited about this after school special, man. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I didn't get the black and denim memo, but um, next time we can coordinate oh, our, our, oh, our, our outfits. You guys, look, you guys look great. You guys look great. Hey, uh, so Pastor Steven, we, we got together, I guess it was in December or November maybe even, and started brainstorming about how we'd kick off the year with a moment of prayer. And this is where we landed. You just want to real quick, tell us how we got to this crazy idea of the master class. Yeah, so the, the idea with Masterclass is that there's a master who's teaching pupils, and it's an interactive thing. Um, and obviously, we are not the masters. We pointed that out every week just so that there's no confusion. Um, but our thought was, let's draw from some of the masters in Scripture, Jeremiah, Jesus, Hannah, David. And we, we've taken the role of TAs, of just kind of walking along with you. I know many of you have joined our prayer labs, so there's been some interaction, some practice uh, in a safe uh, environment. And so really, you know, Jesus talked about his house being a house of prayer. Yeah. And so we wanted to start this year with that in mind. It's beautiful. Hey, so before we jump into some of the questions that we got, um, would you guys tell me real quick just who are the prayer influences in your lives? The men or women, pastors, friends, fathers, mothers, who really shaped your understanding and view of prayer? Ladies first. <laughs> ladies first. <laughs> ladies first. The only lady. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I think for me, I think I talked about her, Juanita Bynum, um, and that prayer experience. But I think um, locally, for sure, Pastor Sean is an influence. Right, um, Nigel James, yes, for sure, yes, is an yes. influence. Um, and if you've ever had the opportunity to be at an Every Nation conference, Pastor Phil Bonasso. Oh, yes, the yeah. pastor of faith, the apostle of faith, <laughs> the apostle of Phil faith. Bonasso. Phil Bonasso. It's is... great. It's great. How about you, Steve? For me, um, when I was in college, uh, I was looking for opportunities to get plugged into like a Christian community, and I was kind of searching through different organizations on campus, and there was this thing called the Manifest House of Prayer, and I noticed they met on Friday night at 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., and I thought that was so radical and extreme, a group of people, college students, on a Friday night praying for three hours. Um, and so it was so crazy. I was intrigued. And me and some buddies went, and there was this uh, young lady playing on a guitar, nothing around her, just crying out to God. And some students gathered together in a small chapel. And the first, the first time, it was, like, agonizingly long. Um, but then, like, the last 30 minutes, like, the presence of God came in that room, and it was just, like, Man, the time went by so fast. And that experience, just being a part of that in college, really taught me about the importance of encountering Jesus when we pray. Not just having a list, but going after his heart and finding out what's on, God, what's on your heart tonight? That's what we want to pray into. We want to worship you in our prayer. And so that was an experience that really changed my life. I would say for myself, it was, when I initially got saved, it was 
crying out to God, please teach me how to pray. Um, and it led to some relationships. A, a gentleman named Otis, um, I hadn't really thought about this brother in a while, but we were pretty much peers. But he he was praying like, hey, Sean, you want to come over and do all night prayer? And I'm like, who does that? But <laughs> I went that? over and did it. And um, it was um to, to the same point, it was experiencing the presence of God in those situations that really transformed me and, and really kind of underscored how important prayer was. Um, another um, moment in my life that's happened since I've been here at Grace, I've been at Grace since 2010. Um, the prayer team at the time, um, Pastor Danelle Perkins was yeah, leading the prayer team and um, we were we had a fast going on, and we were in one of the quads over there in um, on the kid builder side, and the group was praying, and there was a brother named Elijah Ham. Um, I mean, he could do uh, his, his voice would make it makes you think of God. Like if God, I've never heard God audibly, but. <laughs> <laughs> it probably sounds yeah. like Elijah Ham. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it was so much scripture coming out of him um, and, and within the team that even though I felt like a strong prayer, I was scared to pray in front of them because I felt like it would be so weak. And even though in the moment I got scared, what I learned from that was I don't have to sound like him to, for God to hear me. Um, but if I use scripture, then I'm praying according to his will. And what it says in 1 John, that if I pray according to his will, God will hear me. And if he hears me, I'll have what I ask for. Um, so just seeing the power of using scripture behind prayer was something that I learned from Pastor D, um, one of the um, previous leaders there um, who was a part of that. So That's great. That's great. Yeah, I found just the when you're in the atmosphere and in the environment of prayers, you pick up so much. I think you said it in your message, so much more is caught than it's taught. And that really was a driving factor in this whole series was, yeah, we can sit around and teach prayer. We could teach it for 12 weeks if we wanted to. But if we don't uh, approach the throne of grace, if we don't cry out, if we don't start putting it into practice, we're never really going to get a hold of this thing. You can only learn so much until you start doing and start going into it. And so to help you guys with that, we, we started every message out also with our little prayer cheat sheet. Uh, it's not comprehensive, but we figured if you're in school, you got to get a cheat sheet, whether that's on your hand or a post-it note or however you did it uh, back when you didn't cheat in school, because um, we didn't because we are, we are pastors, and so we wouldn't do that. Um, but, but, we, but we came up with a, just a quick prayer cheat sheet, uh, three ideas. We pray God's will by praying his word. It hits what you just said in your message of the Lord's Prayer, how we want to pray God's will, and the way we do that is we look at what Scripture says. Uh, we pray with others was another one that was big on Pastor Stephen's heart, just this idea of us coming together to pray. And the last one was we really want to pray with perseverance, and we want to really want to press in because we were just having this conversation that that the devil hates when we pray because it's so powerful and it's so world-changing and life-changing that he would rather distract us and get us to do anything else dig into theology hear more sermons listen to more music anything but open your mouth and pray to God and so we led with that and uh, I've, I've got a question that kind of pushes back on this a little bit because the prayer cheat sheet said to pray with others but Jesus says, when we pray, we should go into our room, we should close the door, and we should pray by ourselves. So, Stephen, which is it? Wow, we're starting in the deep end. I I'm, love I'm it. coming for you. <laughs> yeah, controversy, question one. Here we go. Um, so that, that passage is in Matthew 6, and Jesus is talking about not just prayer, but prayer, fasting, and giving. 
And he says, when you do those three things, do it in secret, do it privately. And I think what he was, what he was getting at is that, you know, there are people who did those things, but just for an audience. Right. They were doing it not primarily for God. And so he said, when you do those things, including pray, pray in secret. Um, but then later on in Matthew, he talks about the power of praying in groups. And he talks about how if two of you agree on anything on earth, right. it will be done by my Father in heaven. Um, so Jesus is not a schizophrenic, right? He's, he's, you know, hitting on two edges of attention there. Um, but there is just a power in praying together in that, one, there's accountability. Um, Pastor Sean and I pray uh, on Wednesdays and with some other guys, and there's sometimes that I feel like I'm too busy, I got too much going on, but I know those guys are going to be there. And so that accountability presses us all into prayer, and then it always ends up being a really powerful time. Um, but then secondly, when you pray with others, there's a faith that's built up, and, and you talked about that earlier. Um, that, man, something that Pastor Sean says sparks a verse that I was thinking about, and all of a sudden there's a collective faith that rises. And so we want to do both. We want to pray. When we pray privately, um, the heart there is we're, we're praying to God. We're not, trying to, um, we're not trying to appease anyone else or impress anyone else. But then when we pray in groups, there's a collective faith and power that's built. Yeah. So good. So good. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think it also kind of ties to what you were saying with regards to how the enemy really wants to fight against prayer. And so sometimes we can just, you know, pull a scripture out and think that that has mandate or um, kind of gives us instruction for everything. Um, but we have to get into the context of scripture and understand what was being said in that moment. Um, one of the powers of praying together is like the testimony because Pastor Stephen just mentioned that we pray together on Wednesdays, but what we've seen since that, we've been praying for the men and now we've seen God move. It's, it's, there's something that kind of knits our hearts together as brothers um, because we can look and say, man, look what God did. And we were praying about that. Um, so that testimony that comes that God is actually there. Um, and then I think the other thing, just to add just a little bit more um, to what, what um, Pastor Stephen was saying with regards to Jesus, I think at the heart of it is, Prayer is about intimacy with the Father, and if you're doing it for show, if you're doing it for other people, you really undercut. Like, just imagine, you know, like if I did, if I only got my wife something for the camera but treated her like trash at home, that right. would not go over well, right? So I think it's the same thing with, with our intimacy with the Father. That's good. That's really good. Well, well navigated, gentlemen. Very well done. So it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. Um, so we each took a chance to kind of teach on behalf of someone in the Bible. Pastor Sean taught uh, from Jesus's perspective what he teaches us about how to pray in the high priestly prayer in John 17. I took us through some of the Psalms that David wrote. Uh, Pastor Stephen led us through Lamentations, which was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And Miata taught out of 1 Samuel, uh, Hannah's prayers of desperation. And now we know whenever we prepare a message, there's so much more we leave on the cutting room floor. We wish we had time for, I wanna go there. I don't have time to. What was maybe one takeaway from you guys that, that something else they taught you that you didn't have time to include in your message or, or one other revelation or thought? Like, so I'll, I'll go first just to give you a break because I know, yeah. Uh, so for me, you know, my whole theme was about how, how thanksgiving and praise unlocks our prayer life. And when we might have a hard time starting, that's the place to start. Um, but the reality is, because, you know, I did all this analysis on the Psalms. There's at least 44 psalms that just start up straight up cry for help. Straight up, oh my God, rescue me. <laughs> oh my God, help me. I need you. I'm surrounded by my enemies. Sickness has overtaken me. Just help me. And 
I think that for me, that, that's as valid as a place to start as any other and often is what drives us to prayer in the first place. And so one of the things I was worried about with my message was there, there may be this feeling of, well, if I don't have an attitude of praise, then maybe I shouldn't pray. If I just need help and I just want to cry out, I don't really feel like giving thanks right now. Well, let me just say, David was an expert at that. David led with heart cry desperation. And there's even a psalm that starts with anguish and ends with anguish. Psalm 88, I think, is no hope in it. It's just, everything is bad, everything is awful, God, I need you, please rescue me. That's the prayer. And I think sometimes we should make allowances for ourselves to go before God in that same vein. So how about for you guys, what was something you, you learned? Okay. Let's go with me. It's me again. Yes, I was trying to really think through what, I feel like I left it all out <laughs> on the field. But um, uh, yeah, I feel like the only thing I would say is that she did do that. So like sometimes you just, you just read the prayer of Hannah and all you see is kind of this desperation, but you don't see year after year she went up with a thanksgiving offering to offer to God. Even in her um, barrenness, even in her lack, she still offered God thanksgiving and praise. And I think sometimes we can get so like, I don't know, distracted our head in the sand mm -hmm. that we don't pick our head up out of the sand to see the God who is still providing for us, even though there's a part of our life that is, is lacking. So yeah. It's good. So good. I would say um, for me, um, really, it was, it was kind of two things. Um, Jesus, he talks about um, he's asking the father to sanctify his disciples immediately there um, to um, sanctify them in the word, to kind of set them apart. And, and I, I really felt like that's a window into um, the importance of the word in prayer and speaking to the father um, and how much the word needs to be a part of our lives to help us to communicate properly with the Father, just like it separates us from the world and helps to renew our mind in such a way that, that we're living sacrifices. Um, so I, I wish I could have talked more about that or not even have kind of gotten into that part so I could talk full, more fully about another part. Um, and then the other idea, what I don't know that I articulated the idea well enough, that there are kind of in Jesus's prayer, there's really like three areas where he prayed for himself. He prayed for like his disciples. The idea being like how it can translate for us is like praying for your 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 um, spouse if you're married, um, your immediate family, those closest to you, close friends. That's that group, those disciples that were for Jesus. And then for the future church, like us extending our um, intercession for those who are beyond just in our spheres of influence, but beyond that. And even for who's going to get saved because of the work that's being done at Grace Covenant Church. So I want to pray for the saint five years from now that, that God will do. Like, is, is that perspective that Jesus brought to that prayer that I wish I would have been able to communicate more? Uh, for me, for Jeremiah, I think it was kind of below the surface, um, and I touched on this very briefly, but one of the things was that he, uh, here's a man who prophesied for the nation of Judah for years that they would experience judgment, and, um, and then they do. And I think my mindset would be, well, I told you so. Told you. <laughs> yeah. Didn't I say? And now, okay, now you're experiencing the consequences of your actions and kind of disengage. But for him... On the uh, the beginning, he warns them and he and he prophesies his judgment. And then when they actually actually experiences actually experience it, he enters into their pain with them. Wow. 
and he collects these laments from the people that are left in the city, the poor, the lame, the handicapped, um, and really highlights and brings to the forefront their pain. And I thought that really ministered to me just as I'm ministering to people um, and, you know, try to speak into their lives if they don't receive uh, my counsel and they experience the consequences of not abiding by God's word. That, that doesn't mean I disengage, but I need to be on the other side with them, um, really lamenting with them. Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, that's a whole perspective change. I mean, I think we all will battle in our flesh that I've been warning you, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, and it happened. And then to enter in the pain, I mean, that, there's, a whole, there's a whole message there. there there's, an entire, there's an entire world in that thought. Um, well, and, and I hope parents hear that well. Yeah, I know, yeah, right, that's, <laughs> you know, like if you see your child fall, I told you to stop running in the house. Like maybe that's, that's not the disposition <laughs> that we need to have all the time. Enter in their pain. I'm with, yeah, maybe that's why that resonated deep down in my soul so much. Um, okay, so Miata, I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. Um, it's a great question, and we get it a lot because we know we want to pray God's will, but how do I know, how do I ensure that my prayers are aligned to God's will? If I'm trying to find his will, seems like a good thing to me, seems like it would benefit the people around me, I'm going to press in to pray for that, but how do I know that's what God actually wants for me? How would you discern that? Oh, this is a great question, and I wish I was, I was you know, like, my answer is from, I've watch John Piper. So if you want to Google this yourself, you can look up how to discern the will of God, desiringgod.com. That's good. Um, <laughs> but John Piper says that um, there's so many things in the Bible that like, who should I marry? What, uh, what car insurance should I get? Right, right. Um, what um, cell phone service should I get that is not in the Bible verbatim. But um, what I loved about what he said is that we should have a, such a renewed mind. And how do you get a renewed mind? By spending time in the word of God. So it starts with um, knowing the will of God by knowing the word of God. The word of God and what, is, um, what does God delight in? What does he not delight in? What moves his heart? What are the things... Um, about him and renewing your mind in those things then and what is you know what is according to his will um once you're drenched in that kind of renewed mind of his will and knowing like what is the actual heart of god um like i know for instance my mom is a, a acts of service type person but she's never she never said that to me it was watching her and watching the things that she delighted in and you know like what happened with those things. So now I know that. And so now I, I know what to do to love her well, right? Mm. And so I'll go ahead and clean the floor because I know that she likes that stuff. So it's kind of like that. So once we know God and have renewed our minds so much that we're deeply entrenched with what moves his heart, what is his will, what is his mm. delights, that when you make a choice, you can feel the pleasure of God when it's in alignment with um, what he delights in and what his will is. I remember I asked Pastor Danelle Perkins, who I think has influenced every person here and probably most of you watching, especially when it comes to prayer. I, I, I asked her about just operating in the spiritual gifts of like a gift of wisdom or a gift of knowledge or, or something, because it always seemed to flow from them. Like just, just, I have a word for you. I have a this for you. And I said, how do you get that? And she goes, oh, it's just one word, intimacy. That's it. Intimacy with the Father. The closer you are, the more you're with him, the more you'll know his voice, you'll know his will, you'll know his word, and this will just flow out of you. And I was like, well, that's easier said than done. But 
is right. I mean, this is the heart of everything. It's what you're saying with your mother. Husbands, you know it's that way with your wives. If you're closer and you're connected, you know what moves their heart and they know what moves, moves yours. Um, this is open to anybody who wants to answer, but what do you do with an unanswered prayer? Or how can you tell the difference between a, a prayer that the answer is no or the answer is wait or the answer is yes but not yet? If we are in the middle, what do you do with that? Well, I'll kind of take the first stab. But, you know, I think what you preached on helps us to kind of continue to press in when um, you're believing for something and it hasn't happened. Um, that doesn't mean necessarily to stop. Um, I really think it kind of draws back to intimacy. Um, when you have intimacy with the Father, there's ways that God communicates to us. And whether it's through other people, whether it's maybe a lot of times it's in your studying of the word, is in your intimacy, I think, that we hear the no's. Um, when you haven't discerned an answer one way or the other, that's the perseverance we talked about with the cheat, 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 cheat sheet or flashcards. That, that might be a little bit there more you go, there you go. politically correct. The flash <laughs> the, the flash yeah, the, um, but the idea being to continue to press. I mean, Jesus, when he taught about prayer, he gave an example of a widow woman going back to a judge over and over to the right, point where right. this guy who wasn't fearful of God or man um, said, hey, this woman's going to drive me, um, worry me to death if I don't help her. That's kind of the disposition we're supposed to have um, in prayer. So intimacy helps you to discern the no, I think, um, or the yes. Um, without either one of those, I think we keep pressing until we do get to the answer. Yeah, it, it, it kind of reminds me of Pastor Jim preached a message at the start of the year. And one of his points was around the divine delay. He was preaching on John 11 and Lazarus died and Jesus waited before he left and it was he, he called it the divine delay and this question made, made me think of that so it's kind of like how do you know you're in a divine delay where Jesus is coming oh yeah no, no he's he's definitely coming you just don't know it yet and if you're there then how do you know do I press in is there opposition do I do I need to war in prayer do I need to, to get friends and, and, and battle along with me or is the prayer answered and as I was just, this thought was, you know, unwinding in my head, I thought, man, that, that's a great question. We should really have somebody answer that. And lucky for you guys tonight, we actually, we set up a satellite link out on the mountain in Pastor Jim's house. So we're going to, we're just going to tune in there and get an answer to this question. So uh, Pastor Jim, take it away for us. Hey guys, sure. Happy to weigh in on this. So how do you tell the difference in a demonic delay and a divine delay? It's, a, it's an important question. Let me read you a passage of Scripture. Second Peter says, Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, delay always feels like a thousand years. But it says this, and this is important that we understand about the heart the nature and the motivation of God. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Now, that's an important passage of scripture as we try to figure out, is this God or is this not God? So let me give you three quick considerations in trying to 
help navigate this question. First of all, we always have to consider fruit. James, the third chapter, verses 16 and 17 says this, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. Hang on to that word because we're going to come back to it. You'll find disorder and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Now, note that one of the first things in this list, there you will find disorder. And yet, Paul writing to the church at Corinth as to how God moves in ordering spiritual gifts in the church, it says everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. He's not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you see, disorder is always a mark of the demonic, not the divine. So first of all, is this fruit that this is bearing, is it producing something in me that's disorderly? It doesn't have along with it peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy. And then consider motivation behind this. Thy will be done. Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Is the motivation for this delay, is this something that might indeed bring glory to God Or is this just something that I have to happen right now? This is for me, which also takes us to consider not only fruit motivation, but consider relationship. Does this just get my need met in this moment without any consideration of how this might affect God or God's reputation in how this gets done? Now, let me say that getting your need met and God being glorified are not mutually exclusive. They obviously can work very well together. But the real question is, what's what's the hurry here? What's the rush? Now, certainly there are some situations and circumstances that it requires God to move speedily. But could I suggest to you, God's always known that. And yet I find in my life That many times if there is a moment, if there's a gap, if if there is a delay, I want to invariably do something to try to step in and again to get God to move faster. And most of the time it's because I don't really trust God enough in this moment. So therefore I feel like I need to put my spin, my hands, my machinations on it and help God along just a little bit. So these are just a few of some few, just a few thoughts to help maybe navigate that question. Guys, back to you. Hey, look at that wisdom from the mountain. Come on, how good is that? Yeah, thanks what so a much, resource. Pastor Jim. What a resource. Thank you, Pastor Jim, for helping us out with that. That that's the kind of thing. After an answer like that, do you regret speaking before him? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I set you up. I'm sorry. Pre- yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen, you preached on lament, and we got a lot of questions about lament because it's, it's totally a kind of a, it's not a foreign concept, but it's certainly a deep one. It's one that's hard to dig into. Um, the question is this, which I thought was fascinating. Is lamenting, is it contrary to how we are taught to pray? Wow, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you mentioned at the outset that there are 44 psalms that are laments. So that's almost one-third of the psalms. And uh, 
as I was kind of preparing for my message, one of the things that I came across was a guy who did a study on our worship songs, our contemporary worship songs. And he looked at the 100 most popular worship songs today. And only five of them could be categorized as uh, songs of lament. Five out of a hundred most popular worship songs yeah. were laments. Wow. So about 5%. And so we, you know, as the Western church in particular, we don't really have a language uh, for lamenting. It's, it's just kind of foreign. And so... Well, it's because we're blessed and highly favored by the Lord. We are set apart. So how do I reconcile those two things? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Until you hit a crisis. Right. right? Yeah. Until you hit 2020. And then all of a sudden, you don't have a prayer language for what you're going through, and you become disillusioned. And part of that process of lamenting is, at first, you're oriented. You're oriented to who God is, his goodness, his faithfulness, and then you experience a disorientation where your world turns upside down, and you have no answers, and all of a sudden, God looks like he's not the things that you thought he was. And the temptation in that disorientation is to try to get back to the orientation, how things originally were. But things will never go back, right? right? Things will never go back to pre-2020. Wow. But the beauty is that lamenting allows us to enter into a reorientation. That's good. There's a new revelation of who God is that we can only get through going through the pain, yeah. through lamenting through the pain, and seeing more of God. And so I think that kind of relates to, to unanswered prayer is that, and this is so much easier to say right here than to actually live right. this out. So I need the grace of God to have this perspective. But when we have unanswered prayer, it's really an invitation to know God more. And so the question is, okay, God, you didn't answer this prayer. What are you trying to show me about who you really are that I previously didn't mm. know? The temptation in the disorientation is that we lose our orientation and we need to find the reorientation. And I think it's in that that you actually see the real God and not the God you've created. Say say more. No, say more. That's so good. Come on with that. Say more with that. I mean, I think like for, I'll speak about myself. For me, before 2020, you kind of created this God of blessing Mm -hmm. and you don't understand when you don't experience blessing. (laughs) So then you're like, God left me. I'm not blessed. I'm not with God. But I feel like with what Pastor Steven says, an opportunity to reorient, you get to actually meet the real God of the Bible, the God who's with you when he walks with you in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, you get to meet that God who walks with you, get to meet the God who's on the mountain, in the valley, the one who leads you besides besides still waters, the one who's with you in the fire when you get thrown into it, but but you don't come out smelling like smoke. Like, that's the God you get to meet, that that's the real God that grounds your faith. But, yeah. Powerful. Yeah, I I mean, you kind of said everything I was going to (laughs) say. I experienced that myself. I mean, 2020 was doubly bad because I also got attacked. And But the idea that I created this God who only protects us. And I love my brother, uh, Demetrius, who says we didn't, uh, you know, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to the fine print because there's persecution written right, in the fine, right. fine print. Um, and I was just thinking about this idea that, you know, like we mentioned the, the top 100 worship songs that we just have a culture and I, I kind of talk about this when, when I get opportunities to preach that it's the air you breathe. So it's not always just what you formulated, but 
We only hear testimonies of blessing. We don't hear people going through. We want to help them get back to that space and, and the songs we listen to and things like that. But when you have to be real before God because you're in the hospital and you're, right. you're hurting and, and things like that and you're confronted with this idea of God, why did you let yeah. me get stabbed right. when I was teaching your word like I'm doing something good? Like that can mess up your paradigm. Um, so um, lamenting is a language to me that help, it, is, it allows us to be kind of naked before God and he still accepts us like he he has intended for us to have relationship and relationship is all of life because if I kept those parts away from my wife she would feel shut out right and, and so there's a level of intimacy we wouldn't have because I'm just trying to keep a good proper face on and, yeah. and things like that she needs to see the ugly cry at times and I think God needs to hear the pain or the the, 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 the sounds of the disorientation at times. He wants to hear that because he wants you to know he's with you there as well, not yeah. just um, in the good times. Oh, That's yeah. good. I mean, this, this past week I've sat with, I've sat with uh, people who have lost a loved one suddenly and unexpectedly, worst day of their life. I did a wedding this, this, this week, happiest day of their life. And the consistent theme between both was that we spent time praying with everybody. So... This idea of lament or of prayer or of what is it, it's so tied into our relational connection with God. It's so tied into our source of life and of faith and in every lived experience that it, it strikes at this intimacy that gives us access to the Father no matter where we're at. So it's not just calling down blessing from heaven. It's not just miracle signs and wonders. It's not just favor. It is those things. And as much as it's those things, it's the grief and the searching and the crying out and the anguish. Um, Can I say something really quick? Yeah. When my father died, I never knew in the scripture when it says the Lord is closer than your next breath, mm. that he can really be the strength that carries you through. I would have never experienced that if I had not been in that place. So when I, I can minister to someone and say, no, God is, he will give you breath to breathe out, even in grief. God will be the wow. breath that you need to breathe. I've experienced that because I had to go through that. You know, so. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's so good. Um, two more quick questions, and then we're going to wrap up because we got a baptism tonight, which we're really excited about. Amen, amen. Big moment. It's kind of like get out of the way, let the Lord do his work with baptism. But uh, I want to answer these last two questions real quick. Pastor Sean, we are a spirit-filled church. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We teach a whole class on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. We're talking about prayer. Got to talk about tongues. Where does tongues fit into our prayer life, corporate worship, corporate prayer? What do we do with tongues? Yeah, I just want to plug that to really get a full explanation, go to Life in the Spirit class. You need there to join go. the Life in the Spirit class because we don't have Perfect. enough time for that. Yeah. Um, Paul does a great job of explaining the gifts of the Spirit, one of them being tongues um, in 1 Corinthians um, chapters 12 through 14. Specifically in chapter 14, he kind of shows how he uses it um, as a private prayer language. I think that can be found in verse 2 of that chapter. He also kind of counsels the church there on the incorrect ways of using tongues, which is um, just a, a language that's given, an unknown language to the speaker um, that is given by God. Um, I'm adding the given given by God. Tongues itself doesn't doesn't mean that, but the 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 um, it, it's glossa is the the Greek word um, that's used there, which means language or the physical tongue. Um, it is 
Um, in Acts, we see it as an evidence of one being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which was kind of that, that moment maybe after being saved, um, after Holy Spirit bearing witness, but there seems to be something different that takes place there. And one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit does as an evidence of him um, being in your life is speaking in tongues. It's not the only um, gift, but it is one of the gifts, um, and it becomes a language that you have with God. And so Paul further explains in 1 Corinthians 14 how it edifies, it builds you up, it communicates to God. Um, it is You're not fruitful in your mind, but um, you're communicating something holy to God um, and it edifies and helps to build up your faith in your inner man. So tongues is a way of praying a heavenly language, um, a perfect prayer to God. Um, it is a way of giving voice to the to something that's going on on the inside of you that you can't articulate through English or any known language um, to, to the um, particular prayer. Um, so I hope that's that, good. that no, that's a good. concise In about a uh, minute and a half, that's a phenomenal answer yes. for a big, big question. I think you're right. Life in the Spirit, gracecub.org, <laughs> under our events page, part of our membership process. would love to see you there. Uh, thank you for the plug for that. Um, okay, so here's, here's the last question. This is the big one, um, and I'll just, I've picked on you guys enough, so I'll ask myself this question because oh, yes. I know that I haven't asked myself any questions. See, this pays to be the, the host of the panel. You avoid having to answer the tough questions. So. Uh -huh. uh, I figured I'll take one, but it's, it's a big question. I think it's one we all ask or have asked at some point or another in our life, which is if, if God is sovereign, if God sees the end from the beginning, if God is outside of time, if God created all things and is in all things and moved through all things and he knows every breath we take and every choice we make, then, then why pray? Isn't God going to do whatever he wants anyways? Which is a great question. It's a great question. R.C. Sproul, uh, he said this, uh, God controls the ends, but he also controls the means to the ends. Mm -hmm. And we often pray for the ends to happen, right? I want this, or please heal this, or change that, or fix that. God controls that end, what will happen, but he also controls how we get there. And I think about back to the Lord's prayer, coming back to where we started in Matthew 6. This is Jesus teaching on how to pray, and he says this, when you pray... You know this. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Don't pray like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he says it. Jesus says, the Father knows what you're going to ask even before you ask him. His next words are this. Pray then like this. So Jesus' response to the idea that, yes, God knows what you want before you even need to ask him. You don't need to ask him. His response to God knows what you're going to ask before you ask is to ask. Is, is to pray. And so if we think about that for a second, and we just, so then what does that mean? It means that God is desiring more than our ask. He's desiring our intimacy. He's desiring our relationship. He's desiring our trust. Um, and James, James says, you have not because you ask not. And so there is definitely something that we access in prayer. Tony Evans preached a message and he talked about there, there, there are basically, there are, in his words, blessings that we need to pull down through prayer, that God wants to give us, but if we don't ask for them, he won't give them to us. You might think, well, that's cruel. Why would he do that? Because the Father desires intimacy above all things. He desires us desiring him. He says, knock, and the door will be open to you. Seek, and you will find. If we don't knock, and if we don't seek, then we can't find anything. And if we don't look, you won't find anything. And so he's saying, yes, God knows what you need, God knows what you're going to pray before you pray. 
So pray. So pray. So spend time with him and pray. Um, last thoughts, resources, places to pray. We're going to do one more prayer lab tonight after service. We're going to jump on, do one more with you guys. It's been awesome. I really enjoyed that. Um, if people wanted to pray with the church, Pastor Sean, how would they do that? Yeah, so we have a um, morning call um, every, um, every morning, um, all seven days a week at 6 a.m. You can find the number right on the website at gracecove.org, um, as well as a Friday night prayer um, where you can join us and intercede on behalf of the church, what we're doing, the events we're doing, pray for um, one another. Um, we call it Prayer Shield. It's on Friday nights. We're doing it um, via a Zoom call um, at, in, in, this, in this current season, so you can find that information on the website as well perfect yeah uh we did a couple podcast episodes on prayer so check that out vantage point vantage point real raw prayer we did a couple on how to pray for your nation how to pray for an unsafe family member um the whole concept of orientation disorientation reorientation is from a guy named walter brueggemann he's a old testament scholar he's got some great stuff about lamenting in particular and i think i'll stop there any other thoughts yeah, lots of books. Um, I loved uh, The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Yeah. That's a great one. Any of Stormy Amaritan's mm-hmm. The Power of um, Praying, power of praying yeah, Blank, fill in, blank yeah. fill in the Blank books are great. Yeah. yeah. And I would also just say, like, with these prayer labs that we've been doing, maybe some of you would want to continue with that. Or yeah. even if there's one person in your group where you felt a special connection with that you could have, like, I know this is a scary kind of concept, but a prayer covenant. Um, it doesn't have to be a for life type of thing, but just a consistent time and day that you guys are going to commit to praying together. I think there's real power in that. Yeah, yeah and I, I just want to say um, with those spaces that we have here at the church, kind of in the prayer life of, of Grace Covenant Church, um, some of some of you have proven to be um, kind of some prayer warriors. Yeah. Um, and one way to invest yourself into what we're doing in terms of winning the city, maybe you don't. Um, engage, you know, like you, you don't have the skill set to be on the worship team. Being a part of the prayer ministry is a way where we will stand before the King of Kings and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you recognize he had given you a passion for prayer and you used it in kind of undergirding all of the work that we do. Friday nights is a place where you can get involved with the prayer ministry as well as on that prayer call. Um, please send me an email if you have some interest um, in being a part of the prayer ministry and and and, and just really engaging from that perspective because we all have a role to play in winning the city, yeah. and that may be your way. So hope you heard hear Phenomenal. that well. I heard it loud and clear. I'll send you an email after this, Pastor Sean. I'll be there at 6 a.m. Um, it's S-Law at Grace yeah, Cove. <laughs> Church, pray. I mean, that's, that's the answer to this whole thing. The devil hates it when we pray because things happen when we pray. God moves when we pray. Hearts are changed when we pray. Lives are changed when we pray. We access things in the will of God like never before when we press in to prayer. So your prayer is spiritual warfare, which means there is a, there's an there is opposition against you that's trying to keep you from it. Maybe it's fear of praying in a group. Maybe it's not knowing what to say, where to go, how to do it. Maybe you don't have the faith for it. Let me just encourage you to find somebody, one of us, somebody in the church to press in with, to walk with, because it's going to change things in your life.